Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today we're having this interview for National Family Caregivers Month, and I'm joined by Megan Claire Chase. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks again for having me. So in light of this being National Family Caregivers Month, uh, would you like to start off by sharing what your experience has been with being a caregiver? Sure. So um, first of all, my mother is an ovarian cancer survivor. But then when I was in college uh, in the late 90s, um, she was uh, asymptomatic for um Malleoproliferative neoplasm or MPN. It's such a mouthful to say. Uh, essential thrombocytosis. And uh, that's when, you know, things, she was okay for a while, you know, because again, she was just asymptomatic. But then I would say in 2003 is when um, she got really, really ill. Like, uh, and I was in LA. I was living in, uh, it was a whole coast away. So back then and in, in the early 2000s, um, I was living um, in Los Angeles and she didn't realize I had little spies everywhere because I'm an only child of divorced parents. And I knew that she wouldn't tell me what's really going on with her health. Um, and that's hard when you're an only child, you know? And so I was hearing news like she'd had a surgery because it was affecting her spleen and, and all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I, I'll never forget it. It was um, it was November and I looked at her like I came home. I, I would come home for like 10 days for Thanksgiving um, from the West Coast. And I just looked at her and I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, like I could really see how this cancer and the fact that it's you know hard to treat especially back then um and i was like i only have one mother and to me family comes first always and i moved back to georgia uh, i never wanted to come back to uh georgia but i did and it turns out to be like a, a wise move um because later i would also need my mother to be a caregiver caretaker for me and we were ultimately doing it at the same time when I had my own breast cancer diagnosis and went to the same oncology office. <laughs> and that was a, a very odd moment because the woman, the front desk person recognized my mother and was like, hey, you don't have chemo today. Like you come in next week. And I was like, oh no, it's me, her daughter. I'm actually here to see the breast cancer oncologist. And just the look on that woman's face of seeing mother and daughter. And I was like, yeah, this isn't the kind of bonding we had in mind, but yeah, no, but I can tell how much my view of being a, a caregiver caretaker changed after I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for, um, for sharing the story. And what are some of the ways that um, the experience has changed for you before and after your own diagnosis? You know, before, um, it's still really hard for her <laughs> to give me information, um, you know, because it doesn't matter how old you get, your parents will always see you as their baby, um, even adult baby. And uh, back then, she really wouldn't give me much information. So a lot of times I was in the dark and I'm just like visually seeing the impact or again, you know, hearing uh, little birds telling me things, even once I moved back here. And I used to never understand the fatigue. I would 
often get upset and I'm like, gosh, like, I just want to go out with you. Like, I just want our mother daughter bonding, not understanding how insane that fatigue is. And, um, and just like my patience, uh, right. Like a lot of times I would get impatient. I mean, we do not live together. Like want to make that loud and clear. We already agreed. Like that just can't happen. Uh, as an adult, um, I love you mother. Um, but I just, you know, I didn't have a lot of patience or, um, I'd want to, we go to a restaurant and then she wouldn't eat much. And I'd be like, gosh, I can't believe you're not eating, not understanding how much it took for her to even get, you know, to even get ready so we could go and eat. And then she was scared to eat because she didn't want to get sick at the restaurant, which I didn't realize. And then once I went through um, stage 2A invasive lobular breast cancer, I got it. I really got it. Um, and and it makes me sad that it's only now that I've experienced it because you shouldn't have to experience it to have, you know, empathy. But I think it's hard on like the child because the parent doesn't want to feel like they're the child and that you're you're trying to tell them what to do. So it's been a, a, a kind of touch and go sometimes. And, you know, I'll, I'll try and say, hey, mother, you know, maybe you should let me drive this time. No, I want to drive. And I'm like, okay, but I can, I can see that you're really fatigued today. And so a lot of times I have to figure out ways to phrase things where I'm like, I see you need some help here, but I also don't want to, you know, you, you're still very much your own person and independent. Uh, her brain is as sharp as a tack. Um, and, and that's been the juggling that I've had to do. But I would say the good news, you know, pre-cancer, she wouldn't share her lab work with me, wouldn't really even tell me when her appointments were. Uh, but then after my own cancer, and then as hers has progressed, uh, and now it's uh, the MPN-MF, uh, what is it, myelofibrosis, like now that it's progressed, she now shows me her lab work. She tells me you know, her schedule of going to chemo and when all of her doctor appointments are. And, um, and she's finally using me to like actually take her to appointments and things. And that's what I used to get really upset about is I'm like, I moved back here for you and you won't even like, let me drive you to an appointment. But I get that, you know, she still wanted that independence, but now she is having to you know, reconcile that she is getting older, you know, and also again, that it progressed and um, it's really affecting her breathing and that fatigue and now she gets dizzy. And so we still do things, but now when like we plan something, if she's not feeling up to it, I get it. And also vice versa. She does that with me too. You know, there are times where she might get that second wind and I'm just like, I'm fatigued. And it's just a, a deeper understanding now of, of what we both go through physically. But then it's also scary because I'm looking at her lab reports and I understand what I'm looking at. Like before pre-cancer, I didn't really understand when she actually would show one to me. I didn't really understand what I was looking at. And now it's almost scary because I feel I know too much. Mm -hmm. 
right? And uh, so it's like, I have to also make sure I don't freak her out when I'm reading this. Because uh, I know she's like watching to see if I'll, I'll freak out. And I'm I'm trying to tell myself, don't like look upset or whatever. Don't like, you know, make a facial expression. But she can sense my shift in energy though. Because I'll just be like, okay, so what's the plan? <laughs> I'm sure there must be a very delicate balance between, you know, understanding more of what she's going through and also understanding too much sometimes. Absolutely. And um, so we went to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society Southern Blood Cancer Conference, and I've been going to that like well before, um, you know, she got like really, really bad with her her symptoms, right? And uh, I would go because I, I'm a big believer in knowing about other types of cancers, but also knowing like before pre-cancer, right? Like I wanted to know as much as I could about her cancer and it is rare, this classification. And so it would be really hard to like find materials. And so now I'm really happy because I would say the past uh, two years and we just, they just had it um, here in Atlanta in October, and there was actually, you know, uh, another session specifically for this classification of blood cancers. And that was really helpful because sometimes I, I really want my mother to change her oncologist. I'm like, I don't know if you're getting like the best care, but of course, and I get that as a patient too. It's, hard, it's When you have that connection with that one oncologist, it can be really hard, especially when it's been like years with that oncologist, it's hard to change, especially when it's, when it's like a whole different cancer center. And that's kind of where we are right now. So I think it was really helpful for her to hear from like one of the top experts uh, here in Georgia. And I was like, mother, that's the one I've been trying to get you to see. And so now that she heard that, she was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, and I said, it's not like you have to get rid of your old one. Like they can work in collaboration um, and I think that's something a lot of people don't realize when you're a caregiver um, and then the patient, like if you really want to see another oncologist, it's not like you have to totally drop the one that you had built all that history with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we've had that to to deal with. And then again, just being um, just recognizing that she's older, like there was just a moment and I realized I'm suffering from anticipatory grief. I, I didn't, I only noticed that um, really a couple of, couple of months ago, uh, I think it might've been after her birthday or my birthday. Um, but I was just like, oh my gosh, and I, now I'm saving all my messages, you know, my voicemails from her and, you know, and I have all these cards from her and I'm always thinking about, oh my gosh, what if this is the last? And I was like, okay, that's not healthy. It's like, she's not, she's not dead yet. Um, but I also, it's like, I kind of want to prepare myself because I mean, I am an only child. Like that's it. I don't have, you know, my cancer took my fertility. I I don't have any human children. My cat, Nathan, he may make an appearance or not. He may be like, mama, what do you mean? I'm a cat. Um, yes, you are my child, but that's scary for me too. And we have had many conversations. I know where the wills are. Like I know where the safety deposit box, like she's got everything written out for me. And it's hard to have those kind of conversations with your, with your parents, you know, um, like 
one of my birthday gifts she gave you know she's like okay let's get your will done i'm like i don't need a will and then she's like oh yeah you do and so it, it's just it's hard to think like that and but you know we actually have a plan we have a game plan like if something were to ever happen in public like i made sure she got a bracelet now that says you know um that she had has, uh, blood cancer and let her and we have it on her license now i don't know if everyone does that but in georgia we have our blood type on our license and um you know so it's like we have like our plans of actions and for any type of emergencies but i i do you know it's a hard conversation to have because you recognize okay they're getting older and then you're getting older <laughs> and sometimes uh i will say it wears on me because now that i'm a breast cancer you know quote unquote survivor um i have a lot of my own health issues and so i don't have anyone helping me and sometimes i i wish i had a a caregiver who could help me like physically help me you know because i'm going to my mother she lives about 20 30 minutes away i'm going to her house and you know i'll empty the garbage or i'll do you know whatever else she needs and then i come home and i'm exhausted then i'm like gosh i gotta get my own stuff done like i gotta you know and then i work full time and it's just it's a lot more tiring and it's because i'm in a body that is not healthy like before pre-cancer it was different i had that energy um and with cancer it's like i don't really know now because it ages your body so much it's like it's hard to know is this because i'm older or is this from the cancer or the 10 million other illnesses and pain that i deal with from the collateral damage so that's been that's been really hard and especially lately uh you know because i love it when she wants me to take her to doctor appointments but then i'm rearranging my schedule or i'm having to wake up really really early to get to her so then i can like do like two hours of work and then drive and get there and just all of that is exhausting and it's it's a lot when when both child and parent have both been through cancer one is uh, over cancer but still has health issues and the parent is really like declining and leaning even more heavily uh, on you know the the child and that's me and I just feel that weight now. Is there anything that you've done or found or any outlets that you've taken part of as a way to kind of deal with and cope with all these stressors, both physical and emotional? <laughs> Therapy. Uh, it's all about that mental health. Um, I, I'm a huge proponent of mental health, but also because it helps me with coping skills because, you know, the way I viewed it, pre-cancer and those coping skills they don't work now that i am post-cancer i need a new coping skills just for myself then add you know with my mother and really making sure that i'm not treating her like a child because uh this woman has two phds like my mother is brilliant you know and it can be sometimes I just stay quiet. And so I've just learned like how to recognize those signs. And I, I actually, you know, my therapist helped me to like identify when I start to feel like, okay, mother, just, just, and he's like, stop, you know, like let her do her thing. 
you'll just be there for when she fin- when it finally clicks to her. Okay, you know what? I do need the help. And I, but I've had to get out of my own way because uh, sometimes we'll be walking and she'll say, walk ahead of me. And I'm like, well, what if you fall? Like, wh- what do you mean? She's like, just walk ahead of me. And then I have to tell myself, you know what? She will yell out if she needs you. But then I keep feeling like people are looking at me saying, you're a bad, you're a bad child. Like they even know me, but that's like in my head. So it's like, I have to keep like reminding myself as I learn how to cope with all of this, that I am not a bad child. I'm a darn good daughter and no one is judging me or maybe they are, but I shouldn't care about that because at the end of the day, it's about supporting my mother, but also I've learned now with that coping skill to say, you know what? I'm actually tired. I'm fatigued today and I cannot get to you until, you know, maybe later in the afternoon. Cause sometimes she'll be like, Hey, can you come over like on a weekend? And I'm like, you know what, mother, how about I come in the evening? So that way I've got some time to rest a little or get some things done um, before I lose all of my energy. So those have been some of the like ways I've been coping and, and trying to manage uh, my own needs and then her needs too, and with limited energy, um, you know, and then other things too. Uh, I can't believe I'm even saying this, like going out in nature, like I'm so not a nature person. Um, I, I blame one of my cancer besties, Mark with the C. Uh, he really got me into just like wanting to be one with nature. And I found myself, you know, on the weekends where, she is too fatigued and she just really doesn't want any company, which I get, you know, I'll go out in nature and just kind of sit with that a little bit. And I'm a big believer of journaling. Um, so I'll journal a little just to get some of that off my chest because I, I try really hard to not bring any additional negativity uh, to her. Uh, and again, she knows me like, you know, like a book anyway, but I, I try not to be that toxic positivity. Like, no, 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 no. Like we're very much stay in reality of, of what's happening and how she's progressing. But I am learning to just like enjoy those moments of the solitude just so I can kind of process, like if it was a particularly difficult week, um, like last week, it was like two appointments for her. They're trying to figure out why her breathing is uh, so labored. And and that's a lot for me just to see her in a wheelchair because she didn't want a wheelchair. And I was like, you know what, mother? I was like, I'm just saying, like, this thing is all the way down this hall and probably around another corner. So wheelchair just might help. And I think it's all in how I like phrased it. But that's what I learned through therapy and journaling. But then, you know, just trying to be a little bit out there with some nature to calm myself because I need the rest as well. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of what what they say on airplanes where we have to put your own oxygen mask on before you can help others put their oxygen mask on. You need to take that time to prioritize yourself too. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard. And it's really hard. Um especially when you have that limited energy. It's like, I I just keep going back to that because I, I just never thought (laughs) that, you know, surviving cancer, I thought I would be able to revert back to the pre pre cancer days when I was like super fit and active. And instead it's like going in the opposite direction. And, um, 
And that makes me sad too, because sometimes I just look at my mother and I'm just like, gosh, she looks translucent today. And so I make a big deal of us like just staying home and watching a movie. Like I'll be like, mother, we don't have to go anywhere. Like you just tell me like what it, what it is you need and I'll try and get it to you, whatever. I was like, I'm happy just watching TV. And I think that takes some of the pressure off of her wanting to be that parent and doing for the adult child and, you know, having new experiences, but also recognizing her limitations and my limitations. So we'll start watching one of our British shows and we'll start talking in our fake accents and still have a good time where we're still mother and daughter, not so it doesn't feel as much like patient and caregiver, caretaker. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So my last question for you uh, for the podcast is, do you have any words of advice or messages for clinicians and how they can better uh, provide support and, you know, empathy for their, for their patients, caregivers? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. You know, um, I tell my mother all the time, I'm like, can you record something on an app? Or like if I'm there with her, I now have the um the clinician. I'm like, look, can you tell me, just give me a recap of what you told her? Like when I wasn't in the room, because I still need to know like what is going on with her health. Like, what do I need to know as far as like what she can eat or what she can't eat or what should she be having more of? And also, it would be great if the clinicians could also make sure that they're explaining or writing some notes or circling things on their lab reports that like you just need to be made aware of. Like, is she neutropenic? Well, then she can't be out at all. Then she always needs to have a mask on. So we kind of know like what it is we need to do or be mindful of when they come home. And if you're actually there with the clinician, really like engaging us and because again, the patient is hearing a lot or they may not even be saying what they really want to say at that time. So making sure that you're also engaging the the caregiver and saying, you know, her, her counts have gone, you know, up on her red blood cell count, but her white blood cell count is like super low. And that that's why we're trying to target it. Like keep talking and explaining because especially for those where it's been years of them having this cancer, this ongoing cancer diagnosis that uh, can progress that we need to also be reminded and it would be great if they could tell us saying you know what here are some things i noticed and how they're walking so maybe if you can make sure you're helping them this way or be on this side of them like there's so many like smaller things that i think the clinicians could tell us and if it's not the actual oncologist then have the nurse you know, or direct us to the social worker because so many people don't even know that that is an option. Um, so if you have that, you know, please do, or like the nurse navigator to just kind of give some guidance on, on, on the patient and recognizing that we have a stake in this too and we want to help them as much as possible, but also want to make sure that they still have autonomy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, this is great. Thank you so much for sharing all of this, um, sharing your experience as a caregiver and your mother's experience as well. Um, These are really important messages, and I'm sure it'll, it will resonate with a lot of our audience as well. So thank you again for coming on today to talk about this. I really appreciate you 
you know, spotlighting um, the the caregivers. And I say, I always say caregivers or caretakers, because I'm not really sure how I've heard different ones. Um, but I, I'm happy that I was able to share my perspective of, you know, pre-cancer and then going through my own cancer experience and now really understanding on a whole different level what it's like for my mother. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again. It was wonderful talking with you today. Thank you so much, Kira.